please open your Bibles to John chapter 12. That's where we're going to be reading from this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under your chairs, uh, the chairs in front of you. Um, or if uh, you are friendly with the person next to you, I bet they'll let you look over their shoulder. John chapter 12. So um, this is this is the sort of the beginning of Jesus's passion week, that week leading up to his death on the cross. Last week, when we were together, we looked at John chapter 11. We talked about the death and the resurrection of Lazarus and what that meant, how that affected people, how that we can apply that to our own lives. We also saw that at the end of that miracle, there were so many people who were affected, who believed, who chose to believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Through that, that, that it, it angered the Jews and, and the high priest would make it official that we are going to kill Jesus. And so because this persecution has arisen now, after they rose Lazarus from the dead, after he rose Lazarus from the dead, Jesus and his disciples, they went off, we saw at the end of chapter 11, they went off into this town called Ephraim, and they're just hanging out there. And then one day, a messenger shows up, a friend perhaps shows up, another disciple perhaps shows up and says, Jesus, you've been invited you and all of your disciples, all of your friends, you've been invited. Please uh, come to Bethany. Martha's making a meal. Lazarus is there. Mary is there. We'd love to celebrate with you. I'm sure this was a, a thank you dinner as much as it was a celebration of, of Lazarus's return. Um, and so Jesus and his disciples now are making their way back to Bethany. And that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. So if, if you are able, would you please stand with me? Now we're only going to read 11 verses uh, this morning. Last week, you guys hung in there for an hour and three minutes, and, and but that was 57 verses. So this week with just 11 verses, I'm pretty sure I can get you out of here in exactly an hour. So we're just going to read the first 11 verses, um, John chapter 12, and it says, Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For you, or for the poor you have with you always. But for me, you do not have always. And now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for this wonderful, rich account of what your, <clears throat> what your son did and what he experienced leading up to his sacrifice. Help us to, to see it, Holy Spirit. We ask for wisdom, and we ask that you would help us apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. When my wife and I were first married, boy, it's a lot easier to tell this story when she's not sitting in here. Last service was a little rough. When my wife and I were first married, we had this, we made this deal. We had this, this goal that we were going to have people over every week, right? We wanted to be hospitable. We wanted to be welcoming. We were like, we're going to have people over every week. We're going to just invite new people over, new families from church. We're just going to have someone over every week. And we were both on board with this. Our, our, we, our hearts were knit, and we were just excited about this. And so the first week came, our first opportunity, and we invited this, this family over, and my wife, she found, like, we were, we were kind of poor because we're newlywed, you know, but she, she had this awesome recipe for this big sandwichy thing and this, this chicken soup or whatever. It's delicious. And so, like, we're all geared up for this until, until it came to getting the house ready. And that's where we had differing ideas. Because, you see, my wife wanted to make the place perfect, right? Sparkling, shining, just like, as if, like, we, you know, like, we don't shed dead skin in our house. You know what I mean? Like, there is no dust anywhere near our house, right? Nothing ever comes out of place at our house. Whereas I, fresh out of the college dorms, I was like, hey, come on. Um, they just need to see the real us, you know? Like, we need to be able to just connect with these people on a real, we don't want to put on a show, you know? Like, they, we, they need to smell our dirty socks, you know what I mean? <laughs> Lying here in the living room, you know? And so we had this different idea about how to welcome people into your home. Well, today, we're going to see in John chapter 12, this, this wonderful opportunity, this great feast that was made for Jesus and how he was welcomed into this home in Bethany. And we're going to be able to apply this in three ways this morning. The first way that we're going to be able to apply this is where we can apply it to our church. Our church like a home, because we're a church family together. Not just you second service people, but the first service and the Saturday night people. And all those people who watch online, like, gang, we're a church family together. And we say that because it's true, because the things that happen in our church family affect so many people in our church family, right? When someone's going through a hard time and we, we send that email out or, or we send those messages out or people start talking and, and people start praying. And then I know you guys are affected because, because you, you're praying and you're, you're asking for prayer for something. And we get multiple prayer requests for the same thing. I love that. Right? I love that. Or the casseroles start flying through the air. You know what I mean? Like they start getting shipped. They're just, it's just like this massive movement of pizza and casseroles to someone's house. It's an incredible thing. So I know you guys um, are affected by each other and by the things that happen because we're at, we're a church family. And of course, the more that you plug in, the more that you become involved, the bigger and deeper part of that family that you are. And so as a church family, we can apply what we read here to our home, our church. And what we read in John chapter 12 here, we can also apply to our, our personal homes, 
to our individual families. We're going to see things that might challenge the way that we go home, the things that we do at home. And then, of course, we're going to see, we're going to be able to apply the things that we read here directly to our hearts, because your heart is the home of who? Jesus, that's right. Because he sacrificed his life on the cross, and he rose again in newness of life, and he, and he ascended to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit, right, to every believer to indwell. Because Jesus, he's not this, you know, he didn't shrink down to a tiny little guy that just stuffs himself in your left ventricle or anything like that. That's not how he lives in your heart. That tripped my mind as a kid. I couldn't figure that out as a kid. Didn't make sense to me. Jesus lives in my heart. Yeah, right. I've seen hearts. We've butchered chickens, you know, (laughs) like there's no way, you know, I was a little kid. I grew up in Emmett, all right. I was... (laughs) It didn't make sense to me. I hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit and how that, it is through God's Holy Spirit that he lives and dwells in your heart, right, within you. And so we can apply his word now to our hearts because our hearts are his home. So let's look at this. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And they made him a supper. So pausing right there, the first thing that we notice here about this home, about this place, is that Jesus was welcomed there and Jesus was invited there. And the question that I have for you, Calvary Chapel Emmett, is this a place where Jesus is welcomed and Jesus is invited? Now, I ask you that, and you might think, well, duh, I mean, it's church, right? But hey, the truth is, and maybe some of you have experienced because you've been around and lived a little bit of life, but the truth is, is that even in our country and even in our state, there are plenty of churches where Jesus is just not welcome, where they don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to hear the words of Jesus. There are churches, they want the stained glass and they want the steeples and they want the peoples, but they don't want Jesus. And when you try and bring in some Jesus, boy, they're just not welcome to that, welcoming to that. The truth of the matter is, is that some places, even some, some places who have the word church on the door or on the sign out front, Jesus isn't welcome there. And he's, he's not invited there. So as a church family, is that important to us? That we keep Jesus the reason for being here? Because the truth is, and I don't know about your experience, but sometimes I can get wrapped up in the tradition of church, right? I get wrapped up in the routine of church. You know, the, the getting out of bed early enough, you know, and, and the trying to get the coffee and trying to get wrinkled clothes ready and trying to get kids ready and, you know, trying to get vehicles running and trying to get places on time and trying to, you know, put on the smile in the parking lot and all those sorts of things. Like, like I'm, I'm addicted to the routine of church. That's just, we just do what we do, you know. 
But do we gather here because we intend to be with Jesus? Do we, do we come to church because we intend to be with Jesus? And now listen, I'm not trying to lay a trip on you guys. Like I said, I'm guilty of this too. What we're encouraged to remember here is that we're here for Jesus. We're here because Jesus has things to say to each of us because he has work to do in each of our lives and because there is so much that we can learn and share and, and experience together. We're here for Jesus. And the truth is, gang, doesn't matter if you didn't get your coffee this morning. We, you, we try to have some available somehow, some way. Doesn't matter if your clothes are wrinkly too, so are mine, you know. Doesn't matter if... You know, your hair didn't get did up just right this morning. That's okay. At some point, you probably won't have any. <laughs> just be thankful for what you've got, you know? Doesn't even matter if your kids are acting like perfect little angels this morning. Doesn't matter if you had an argument in the car on the way here. <laughs> what more reason do you need to spend time with Jesus than when life isn't going perfectly, when things are difficult. Is our church a place where Jesus is welcomed and invited? Is your home a place where Jesus is welcome? Is your home a place where Jesus can be at home? Or is it kind of like, hey, Jesus, uh, you mind stepping outside so we can put the movie on? <laughs> right? Or it's like, we, you know, we come to church sometimes, we talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus, and then we go home, we talk about food or whatever it is you talk about at home. I don't know, you know. It's like, is Jesus welcomed in your home? Not only is he welcome, but do you invite him? In other words, do you take opportunity to initiate discussion about Jesus in your home? You take that opportunity, take that time to invite him into your home amongst your family, with your family. That's the point there. Is he, is he welcome there, right? And of course, in your heart, in your heart, in the home of your heart, is Jesus, is Jesus number one priority there in your heart? Or is he trying, is, is Jesus, does he have to try and find room at the table in your heart next to everything else that's also important to you? Right? Hold on. Can, excuse me. Can I sit next to video games right here? Maybe I can make, maybe there's a little room between, um, you know, sleep and dinner time. Maybe I can wedge in a little bit there. Whatever is important in your own life. I don't know. I've got my things crowding my table in my heart. But is there a place for Jesus there? Is there the most important place, the head of the table? Is it reserved for Jesus? And then, continuing in verse 2, they made him a supper, and Martha served. Just those three words. Pause right there. Three little words. And Martha served. You see, gang, in every healthy church, in every good church, there should be servants. There should be people 
who are serving, who are motivated to serve. We talked a little bit last week about just the kind of person that Martha was. She just, she could not sit down. You know, she just, she had to be up and she had to be about things and she had to be doing things. And knowing that Jesus is coming, like she's excited, you know, and the way that she prepares is just by serving, is just by getting ready. She sees the need. She's trying to figure out, okay, do I have enough bowls? Do we have enough, you know, drinks? Do we have, oh my goodness, where are we going to get the ice? You know, like they're trying to figure out, she's trying to figure out all this stuff. And she's like, Jesus is coming. I'm going to make him my very best tuna kale casserole, right? Like she's, she is at it, you know? She's a servant. And so in our church, are there servants here in our church? Well, as I look out on all of you, I can see there's a vast majority of you are serving. You're serving in so many, some of you in two or three or four different ministries, and I love it. And I can look at every service, and I can see how you're serving, and you're serving, and you're serving, and it's just wonderful because there are so many servants here. And yet it's difficult because there is such a need here as well, right? And I know to some of you, it feels like we're constantly begging you to help with this or that. And as a pastor or as in leadership, it's, it's, I can get conflicted sometimes because I keep thinking to myself, well, what happens is I get, a, I get this, this problem where I, I focus too much on the empty lines on the sign-up sheets and not enough on the volunteers that we do have. And so I can fool myself into believing at times that, well, there's just not enough help. There's just not enough help. And so I pray and I pray and I pray, Lord, please send help. Lord, please send help. Lord, why don't we have enough help? And one day the Lord answered me and he just said, because there's, we need places for people to serve. And if, if every hole was filled, then when somebody stepped up and said, I want to serve Jesus, then there'd be no place for them to serve me. Or when someone stepped up and said, it's time to serve him again, then there would be no place for them to serve me. And so I've left holes in your church. And I'm like, but it's my job to fill them. Lord. Like, I got to figure that out, you know? I can't just say, oh, sorry, God said it's okay. You know, like there's just, that doesn't help, Right? Because the only other opportunity, the only other thing we could do at church is just to automate the whole process, right? We just automate everything. We'll just dump a whole bunch of money into robots, you know? You just bring your kids over to children's ministry, just put them on a conveyor belt, and the belt will take them into a back room you can't see, dump them into a kennel, you know, and we'll pipe applesauce into that kennel and just feed them there for, half, for an hour and a half. And then afterwards, you know, we'll just dump the kennel onto a different conveyor belt, bring them out you know, shock them so they look smiling and happy on the way. You know what I mean? Like, we can totally automate the whole process. You're wondering how I know so much about doing that. <laughs> Trying to fill holes, gang. Sign up. Goodness. No, but <laughs> every good church should have not just servants, but also opportunity to serve, Okay. Martha is busy because she has the chance to be busy because Jesus is there and Jesus' followers are coming too. Jesus isn't, this isn't an intimate dinner with just Jesus and a couple of friends. This is Jesus and the whole gang of disciples. And you know who else is going to show up later on? Even some of the Jews from Jerusalem. This is a party. It's a celebration. There is plenty to do. 
And so as a church family, do we have servants in here? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. Thank you so much for serving the Lord Jesus Christ as you serve the children, as you serve the women or the men, or as you serve here on Sunday mornings or in all the ways that you serve. Thank you so much. Do we have places to serve? Do we have needs? Absolutely we do. There's even more opportunity. And so we're doing well. I think this is a good thing. Now, what about at home? Do we serve at home? Too often we make the mistake where we serve at church and then we stop serving when we get home because home is where you don't have to serve, right? Wrong. If you go home and you're not serving your spouse or your children or your parents or your neighbors, things are difficult, aren't they? And you wonder why sometimes. We wonder why. Why am I getting so much attitude? Why am I getting so much flack? Why am I getting so much pushback? Why am I getting so much... But am I serving? Or, or have I been fooled with this lie that home is where I don't have to serve? No, no, gang. Home is where you get to serve Jesus' people still. And remember, Jesus is, is welcome there. So we get home together. And how, as a family, how can we serve Jesus together? What can we do to serve Jesus together? Well, maybe as a family, we're going to sign up to serve at Easter or in children or some other kind of ministry. And this will be how we serve Jesus together as a family. Maybe we're going to make this our ministry. Or, or maybe we're going to work at, at, at serving one another in the house you know, like today's going to be the day where I'm just going to do everything I can for mom or I'm going to do everything I can for dad or today's a day where I'm just going to do everything I can for my wife. I'm going to do everything I can for my kids. Whatever it is. But the opportunity to serve at home, this is what Martha was so good at. It's what, it's what she was so prepared to do. It's just who God created her to be. And you might be thinking, but I'm just not a Martha. I don't like casserole, right? And I'm not a good cook, and I, I just don't know how to do those things. And quite frankly, I, I'm just, by the time I get home, I'm just not motivated for that. I understand. <laughs> Trust me. I understand, but the opportunity to serve, gang, it's there. And you know what happens when you do serve? Man, there's just something about, have you experienced that second wind? You know what I'm talking about? where you were so tired, but you just had more to do, and so you just jumped into it, and all of a sudden, it's like you have that energy again. You experience it at work, right, when you work overtime. You've done those things, right? You've experienced it maybe in athletics way back then. Remember that? <laughs> or those of you runners, right? You talk, they talk about the runner's wall. You guys are crazy. <laughs> Let me get this straight. I feel better if I run into a wall. No, you run through it. Okay. <laughs> when you're tired of serving, there's something about continuing to serve. There's something about keeping other people the priority that just reinvigorates you. It re-excites you. For all of the work that Martha put into appetizers and dinner 
don't tell me she wasn't excited to carry dessert out there too, right? There's something awesome about revealing the cake or the pie or whatever it was. And you're just, you're ready to serve again. Let's cut into this. Let's scoop this out. Let's make this perfect. Let's put the cherry right there. You know? You're not just like, eh, there's sugar in the pantry. Spoons over there. Go at, go at it, you know? No, you're excited to serve. The answer, when we're tired, when we're just exhausted, hey, honestly, guys, it's continue to put other people first. Serve in your home. And then, of course, in your heart. Serve Jesus. Serve Jesus in your heart. How does that work? Well, if you've ever worked at a restaurant, if you've ever worked as a server, as a waiter or waitress, well, if you haven't, you've been to a restaurant and you've experienced both great customer service and horrible customer service, right? Everyone has. You've experienced those at, at, at whatever restaurant you've been to. You know, you, you go to one restaurant and it's, and it's like they're just waiting on you hand and foot. Do you need this? How's this? How's this going with this here? Uh, maybe there's something in the, maybe there's a problem in the kitchen. Things aren't moving quickly, as quickly as they normally do. And so they bring you out a free appetizer, a free, a free beverage or whatever. And, and boy, they're just trying to work with, to keep you, to keep you satisfied, to keep you happy. Then they're asking you, do you need anything more? Can I get you something else? Would you like more of this? Would you like more of that? Hey, gang, it's the same way we serve Jesus. You need to take time and talk to the Lord and say, Jesus, can I get you anything today? Jesus, what can I do for you today? Would you like me to do this today, Jesus? Would you like me to do that, Jesus? That's how you serve Jesus practically. You talk to him, you offer him, you ask for his opinion on things in your life. You, you see what would satisfy my Lord today. How can I wait on him? You don't just kind of stand off hiding behind the corner, waiting until they take a big old bite, food in their mouth, and then walk up. Everything good? Um, um, okay. You know? Yeah. You know? Boy, that bugs me. It's like, why do you wait until I have food in my mouth? And then you try to initiate conversation. You don't really want conversation, do you? You're not going for Not going to go there. Serve Jesus in your heart. Put his needs, his desires, his wants, his satisfaction. Put that in, in front of your own. You'll be blessed. Continuing on, verse 2. They made him a supper. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Huh. Martha's doing all the work, and Lazarus the freeloader. No, you know what Lazarus is doing? It's called fellowship. It's fellowship. The Bible has a Greek word for it. The Greek word is koinonia. And it's a beautiful word because, you know, we don't really have a word in English that fully describes what it means. The best that we have is fellowship. But unfortunately, we can kind of take that word and we can twist it to mean whatever we want to, you know? Like, hey, we're going to have fellowship at the bar watching Monday Night Football and playing cards. Really? Yeah, it's a fellowship night. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about that sometimes. Because koinonia involves a deep spiritual connection with one another. 
with other believers. It's a connection not just on a surface level. It's a connection not just about hobbies or interests. It's a connection that happens when we gather together spiritually and we get invested and involved in each other's lives so that we can then minister to one another. We can encourage each other. We can build each other up. We can correct each other and we can receive it humbly with each other. It's a beautiful thing, Koinonia. And so that's what Lazarus is doing. He's sitting there at the table with the other disciples, with the other believers, and he's engaging with Jesus. It's fellowship. Does fellowship happen here at Calvary Chapel Emmett? I don't know. Have you ever tried to get in or out the door after service? <laughs> There's a lot of fellowship going on there, isn't there? Now, some of it's just, you know, catching up, how you doing, how's your week been? But, but then there's also times, and I've seen it even last night, there was a big clog of prayer happening right up here, you know? And people are trying to get to me to come for prayer or get to uh, our other prayer uh, people up here, and there's this big clog of people praying right there, and I love it. I love that. I love seeing fellowship happen here. And sometimes it causes me great stress because... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of the Martha, you know, like I just want things to work, you know, and when I see a big clog of people in front of the door and I'm thinking, we only have four minutes until service and you guys got to get out of here and, you know, and so I try and be Martha and Lazarus at the same time and I'm just conflicted in my heart. Like I want to kick you guys out of here, but I also want to be like cool with it, you know, and it's just hard sometimes to figure out what's happening. Fellowship happens here, and it doesn't just happen here at church. I know that you guys are gathering. Oh my goodness, there are so many of you gathering. We have so many small groups gathering at, at, at different places throughout town, the coffee shop or in your homes or here at church. Our, our building use calendar is it's crazy. We're trying to figure out how do we have a gathering and still let, like, we need time for our cleaners to clean, but there's so many people gathering and meeting. It's wonderful. I love that. It's hard. Yeah, it's difficult to try and, you know, logistically figure all that out. But it's, it shows that we're gathering together to connect with each other. And so do we experience fellowship here? We do. Good on you. Thank you. But what about at home? Do you experience a deep spiritual connection with each other at home? Or is, is church the only place you guys talk about Jesus? Or the car ride home. Hey, what did you guys learn about in children's ministry today? I don't know. Okay. You know, I've had plenty of those conversations. <laughs> Not that children's ministry isn't doing a good job, but no, sometimes communication within families just fails, right? And I think it's probably because we're, like, our family, we're the people that we're most comfortable with, you know? So my wife, she knows what my different grunts and groans mean, you know? I don't know. Okay, you know? <laughs> Like, she, she understands that, right? And, and I know not to be offended when she walks out of the room as I'm talking to her. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll just go on pause for a moment here. And I don't take it personally. It's like, all right. So we get comfortable with the people that we live with, right? And so I think that's sometimes why communication can break down a little bit is because we get used to walking away or groaning and grunting toward one another, and that's just how we communicate. But but gang, there's a time. You, you need to, we need to take time to invest in each other at home. We need to take time to sit down and invest. And, and not just talking about, you know, again, hobbies, interests, or things like that, but, but talking about the Lord Jesus Christ at home. 
between as spouses or as as, as parents, it, it instigating that conversation, right? Fellowshipping at home, looking for opportunities to encourage and, and, and to edify, to bless each other, our spouses, our, our, our parents, our neighbors even. Is your house a place where your neighbors can come because they need help? Do, they, do your neighbors know that your house is a place where they can go to receive encouragement or to have questions answered? Our homes, our homes should be places of fellowship. And then, of course, in your own heart, in my heart, do I fellowship with Jesus in my heart? Well, you see, what fellowship requires is it, it requires time. It requires time. It, it means I, I'm going to have to prioritize time with Jesus. And that can be difficult. That can be really difficult because the truth is we're all busy, right? Like I am so tired of answering when people, how's it going? Busy. How are you busy? Like I'm so, I need a new word because it's just, because we're all busy, right? Is there anyone here not busy? Can we trade? <laughs> You're busy. I get it. I know. That's our culture. That's the way things are going. We are accomplishing more in an hour at times than, than people did perhaps even all day at work 50, 60 years ago. We're able to reach out, communicate, instant answers, right? I mean, it's incredible. We're all busy. But is there room in there for Jesus, and, and is he priority number one? Is there, is there room for fellowship with Jesus in our heart, as busy as we are? Is he not worth rescheduling other things, moving things around? What's more important to us? Lazarus was just raised from the dead, and yet he, he, he sits there hanging on every word of Jesus. I mean, he, he's got a whole new second chance at life. You'd think he'd be out skydiving or parasailing or hang gliding or something. Nope. He's at the table with Jesus. Fellowship, incredibly important. Verse 3, and then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now this oil, this, this costly oil, this spikenard, spikenard comes from the mountains of India. So this is imported. This is special stuff. This had come a long way on the back of a yak or a donkey or a camel just to get to Israel, right? And, and, and as... <laughs> As uh, Judas uh, pointed out, the, the worth, the value of this oil was 300 denarii. Now, a denarii was about one day's wage. One denarii was about a day's wage for a person, for a man back then. And so 300, that's almost a year's salary in this one bottle of oil. Do you know people who sell oils? You know how it's so expensive? Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. 
No, this was incredibly expensive because it was, it was something like, you don't just, they didn't just have, you know, Indian food just right next door. Like, it had come a long ways. Not only that, but Matthew's gospel tells us, in Matthew 26, it tells us that this oil was in an alabaster flask. It wasn't in a cheap little brown bottle with a plastic lid. No, this was in a beautiful alabaster flask. And she takes this oil, and she anoints his feet. But Matthew 26 also tells us this. It tells us that she started, she anointed his head with this oil. It says that she poured the oil on his head, and then Jesus says later, when, when he's talking in Matthew 26, he says, she poured this oil on my body. And now here we are in John, and, and she's made her way. She's down, she's, she's wiping the oil onto his feet with her own hair. This is worship, gang. She is worshiping Jesus, and she's doing it humbly at his feet. Right? Humbly. She is, where is she at? She is down low. Martha's up there. She's doing her thing. Lazarus is up here. He's doing his thing. But she is down low. She is down there worshiping Jesus humbly and extravagantly. Extravagantly. Where does she have, why does she have this incredible one-year salary bottle of oil? Probably it came from her dowry, a custom back then that, that you would, you know, kind of gather together, have a treasure, right, for your wedding. And so this was probably something that she was hanging on to for, for the most important time in her life, but now she realizes there is no more important time in my life than right now I get to spend with Jesus. She worships Jesus humbly and extravagantly. And so what, is, what does worship look like here at Calvary Chapel Emmett? And I have to ask you guys that. Because, you know, we try to do everything, one more thing. She worshipped him extravagantly, but it was still within her means. Right? You understand that? Like, she didn't go out and steal this oil. You know? <laughs> like, she had it. Okay? So it was within her means, but she, wow, she really gave. And so, what does worship look like here? And again, I have to ask you guys that, because, you know, as, as you know, pastors, elders, as leadership, like we do our best to try and invest extravagantly as much as we can in making sure that worship happens and happens well. You know, like we, we, all this stuff costs money. That's why you're not allowed to touch it. You understand? <laughs> Please remember that and tell that to your children, okay? <laughs> this stuff costs money, yeah. And all that stuff back there in that booth costs money. We sat down recently to re-up insurance Mike's like, you think we have about, you know, this many thousands of dollars worth in that booth? I said, mm, you know. Because Jesus is worth our best worship. He's worth it. He's worth our best worship. It's still within our means. God provides. And you guys have been faithful to continue to give, and we're doing good things, and we're doing very well as a church, and we're beginning to build, and God's blessed. You know, I mean, yeah, we're not at smoke machine level yet, but, um, you know, we could do a campaign and you guys could pitch. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. 
That's totally a joke. We're not afraid to invest in worship here because we know it's important. Okay? But the humility side of worship, that comes from all of us. That comes from all of us. Do I come into worship? Do I enter into worship with a humble heart? I can't force that in you. The worship leaders can't force that in you. Do you come into worship with a humble heart, ready to see, to sing to the Lord, ready to give to the Lord, ready to meditate on the Lord, ready to just worship Jesus with your everything? And gang, I know it's, it's hard sometimes for worship leaders. You, you guys should thank God that I'm not a worship leader because I'm not a, a singer or a, I can't play things. And, um, but I've seen those worship leaders, and gang, there's been times where Oh man, I feel for them because they're just, they're up and they're singing and they're working and they're trying and then they're leading, but no one's following. You know what I mean? You've been, you've been in one of those places before, right? And that is so hard and, and it's discouraging. It's discouraging to those leaders and to those, those band members. They can't force humility into your heart. It has to be a, a, a condition of your heart that you bring when you come to worship. When I was brand new saved, brand new Christian, like saved only about two weeks, I was looking for a church I could hide in, right? So I found this great big mega church, like 4,000 people. I thought, perfect, can always hide in a crowd, right? So I go to this church, and I had been there, I, I, and I went there a few times, probably three or four weeks, and, and, um, and I go there one week, and they're, they're doing worship, and I'm just kind of hanging out. Like, I wasn't super into the music yet, you know. And, and, but they're worshiping, and, and then, like, during the middle of the worship set, they pause, and the worship leader starts talking, and he starts talking about this time where somebody prophesied over him that he was going to be a leader of thousands. And he says, and look at me now. Now, I was a brand new Christian, but even I knew that was wrong. <laughs> like, there is something wrong up there, man. Like, that just, I, di I didn't know what it was, but something in my spirit, it was the Holy Spirit grieving and by hearing that. Something in my spirit was just like, ooh, put off. And you know what? I never saw that guy again. Never saw that guy again. Thankfully, that church had good, strong leadership that was able to go up to that guy and say, you're done. I never saw that guy again. Because worship has to be done with humility. It has to be. With humility and with extravagance. And so what about at home? Does worship even happen at home? It's not difficult. It's really not hard. You turn on the music at home. You turn it on. You turn it on in your car. You turn on the music, and you don't be afraid to sing along. Don't be afraid that your husband or your wife hears your voice, you know? Don't be afraid that your kids hear your voice cracking, you know? I know your kids might be a little bit afraid because they think you don't hear them singing in the shower or whatever. <laughs> There's this kind of like, we're all a little bit, you know, self-conscious about how we sing or whatever. You know what? Just worship together. Just worship together. Learn to sing a cappella. Learn to sing hymns together, right? Sing, sing Bible songs with your kids. Worship Jesus together. 
And it's not always just about singing, too. It's about taking time to stop and to, to pray together and just to give God glory. You know, when you pray and you don't ask for stuff, but you just tell God how great he is, how wonderful he is, and thank him for stuff in your life, that's worshipful prayer right there. Where your whole purpose for entering into prayer as a family together is we're just going to pray thank yous right now. And what we're doing then as a family is we're just giving God glory. We're just giving God glory. And that's worship. And no one has to be a good musician at that point. Does worship happen in your home? Is it done with humility? And do you worship extravagantly? It's okay to invest in the things of the Lord with your family. It's okay to do that. And then, of course, worship in our hearts. Spending time when we're alone, when no one else is watching, spending time worshiping, spending time giving God glory in our own hearts, making sure that our hearts recognize that there is no one, there is nothing greater in our lives than Jesus because of what he has done for us, what his, the love that he proved for you and for me. He deserves our worship. He's worthy of our praise. I'll be honest with you guys. You know, when I got saved, I did not listen to contemporary Christian music. I just, that is not my flavor. It's just not, you know? Like sometimes I put my music on and like, you know, people walk in the office and they're like, are you angry? Sorry, you know, it's just, no, I'm not angry. That's just, that's my flavor a little bit. Not angry music. It's not, never mind. <sighs> I don't want to explain it. I spent my whole life explaining it. But the point is, my point is, is I, I don't have this natural vibe to be like, yeah, happy guitar guy, you know, like that's just not my natural thing, right? And so when I get saved and I go to church and there's just like all these people on stage and they're just like super full of joy. And I was like, what? You know, like that is not, that's, does that happen to people? I, I don't know if I want that, you know? So I, I was a little resistant to worship music as a, as a young Christian. But you know, you know what got me? Is while I wasn't singing, I was reading the words. And I was reading those lyrics and, and I'm reading along as they're singing along and I'm reading along. And the next thing you know, I said, you know what? I agree with that. Yes, I believe that. Yes, that explains that feeling that I had, that I've been having, that I have not been able to explain. I agree with that. And that's how I got into worship music. Because, you know, worship music inspired by the Holy Spirit that, that helps us understand who God is more and what he's done for us. That's good worshipful music. And so even if you're not a singer, musician, even if you don't really super dig the music all the time, you know what? One of the coolest things is, is when you go, sometimes it's really hard these days because books are just not a thing anymore. But, you know, at a secondhand store or at a used bookstore, go to the religious section. But here's what you do. You go look for an old hymnal. Those are awesome. Just these old hymns. And you just read through that thing. It's like poetry. It's just wonderful. It's like candy for your soul. It's incredible. And I don't got to sing it. I don't got to know the music for it. I don't even know have to, I don't even have to know how the rhythm goes. I can just read this. And I can worship Jesus 
through this. But is worship important in your heart? Is worship important in your own heart? It should be. It ought to be. At the end of verse 3, it says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. You know what happens when you spend time worshiping with Jesus? You start to smell like him. And, and I know every single one of you has this. But, but you know your scent memory? Do you have one of those? Do you have one of those memories that's triggered by a certain smell, a certain scent? Guys, maybe it was your first girlfriend. And every time you smell that smell, that certain perfume, it's like, whoa, you know? But you don't ever tell your wife, right? You don't ever bring that up. That was a little awkward first service too. <laughs> you know? Or, or maybe there's a certain smell of a certain food, a certain dish that, that mom used to make or grandma used to make, or grandma smelled like that, you know? And whatever that smell is, you have that scent memory, Right? There's, there's that experience, that memory is tied to that certain fragrance, that certain aroma. Well, guess what? Mary here, because she spends time worshiping Jesus with humility, giving her all, everything that she has, nothing's more important than Jesus. She spends time worshiping Jesus. She now begins to smell like Jesus. She begins, when people, wherever she goes, wherever Jesus goes, people say, those two. And so when you're at work with your coworkers, people who haven't been to church in 20 or 30 years since, since, you know, since before they were married or since some kind of youth group years ago or even since Sunday school when they were little, but when they see you, when they experience you, something reminds them. Jesus? There's something that reminds them something about who you are when you and I spend time in worship that points people to Jesus because they can see they can smell there's some they can sense that you've been with Jesus and that triggers oftentimes a memory for them and it's beautiful and it's wonderful It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful witness, too. Why do you smell so good? Why do, you, why do you live so well? Why are you so... Why don't you ever just get super bummed about stuff? Why aren't you ever complaining about things like the rest of us? Jesus. I know it sounds corny, but it's Jesus. I have hope. This isn't my world, you know. And that's a huge witness to people when they realize that you can live for so much more. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful witness. And it fills the whole house. It fills everywhere you go. It's beautiful. Verse 4, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, would betray him. And he says, Why wasn't this oil sold for 300 denarii so they could give it to the poor? Of course, but he didn't care about the poor. He, was just, he just wanted to get his hands on the money proves where his heart's at, you know? That's the thing I, I really enjoy about this section of Scripture here, is that we really see, we really see people's hearts, the motivation of their hearts, are very clearly seen. Martha was a servant, and she showed that. And Lazarus was 
intent, in, intentional about uh, fellowship, and he shows that. He wants connection with Jesus and his followers. And Mary was a worshiper. I mean, obviously, absolutely, extravagantly, nothing was too good for Jesus. She didn't look for the most cost-effective way to worship Jesus. She said, what's the most expensive thing that I have that I can worship Jesus with? And then Judas is a thief. Everyone's hearts are revealed here. And so, so he's, he's murmuring and he's grumbling and he's gossiping. And you know what, gang? Even in the healthiest churches, even at the best gatherings, Jesus was in the room. Jesus was there. And there's still gossip. And there's still grumbling. There's still negative attitudes. It's going to happen. Okay? It's just going to happen. The question, though, is how do you respond to it? Jesus responds in verse 7. He says, Leave her alone, for she has kept this for the day of my burial. Jesus reveals to all of us for all time something incredible here. Mary knew it was Jesus' time. His whole ministry, he just kept saying, my hour has not come, right? Now is not the time. He kept saying that. And then he tried to explain it to his disciples on a number of occasions. Hey, this is going to happen, and the Son of Man this, and the disciples were like, oh, we get it. We don't get it right? But Mary, Mary got it. She knew now is his time. His hour has come. My Lord will be dead. She knew, and so she was anointing him, preparing him for his burial, and Jesus knows that she knows. And this is beautiful. He says, the poor you have with you always, but me you don't have always. And so what does this mean? That, that we shouldn't help out the poor? We should, shouldn't do that? No, that's not, that's not what he's saying here. Gang, the most important thing is, you know, where's our priorities? Is everything in order? Is everything in line? Uh, is Jesus welcome here in this church? Do we invite him here to this church? Do we serve here at this church? And, and, and do, we, do we place importance on fellowship here in this church? And Do we worship here with humility and with, with extravagance of the, as much as, as we can afford, if we're doing those things, then we are in a better position to help the poor. You understand? But priority is Jesus first. And he says, because the poor you're going to have with you always. And the unfortunate thing, or the difficult thing, I should say, is that you've experienced that yourselves, haven't you? Yeah, you've experienced people who are poor. They're, they're down on their luck. They're, they've got, they're going through hard times because something evil happened to them. Yeah, okay, I understand that. That's a totally valid thing. But then you've also experienced people who are poor because it's, it's just easier for them that way. And no matter how much you try to help, they just, they, they just don't, there's just not that motivation in, there, in it for them. Do you know what I mean? And that's so difficult. That's so difficult. That's why Jesus, when he walks up to the pool, he says to the, to the lame man, do you want to be made well? 
Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Or are you doing pretty good begging for change? <laughs> right? That's kind of the idea. That's what he's saying there. Do you want to be made well? Jesus says, you're going to have the poor with you always. Always. That mentality, that idea, that motivation or lack thereof, it's always going to be around. It's always going to be there. It doesn't mean you don't help. It means that we keep priorities in line. And you know what happens, gang, is as we as a church, as, we're, as, as we continue to be a healthy church and keep our priorities in order, like I said, that puts us in a better position to help the poor and to help the needy. And not only us, gang, but, but other churches in our community. We partner with what's called the Gem County Ministerial Association. And it's a handful of churches that we're like-minded, you know. We, we have good fellowship together with these other churches. And so what, what happens is people can come into our offices and say, I, I need $500 because this bad thing happened. And we can say, okay. And we can communicate with the other churches. Hey, so-and-so's in our office. They need $500 because this bad thing happened. And sometimes those other churches, they respond to us and they say, really? Because we just gave them $500 for that bad thing that happened. Oh, <laughs> you're a thief. But then other times, those other churches respond and they say, yeah, put us down for 200 Or yeah, we want to pitch into that cause too. And so we've been able to do some really cool things for people in our community. We've been able to help people who have lost jobs and gone through hard times, and, and we've been able to, you know, buy roofs for people and just different kinds of things. But we try to do it as responsibly as we can. We try to be good stewards about it too, right? And so we have, there's just different things that we go about to continue because we know we ought to help them. But Jesus' point here is that right now your priority needs to be me. Right now, your priority needs to be Jesus. It says in verse 9, though, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and that they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Remember that at the end of of John chapter 11 last week. The Jews show up. Party's already happened, and now here come the party crashers, right? And they're ready to kill Jesus, and they also want to kill Lazarus too. And guess what's going to happen to you, Christian, as you prioritize Jesus in your life, in your family, and in your church? You're going to find opposition you're going to find persecution. There's going to be people who might want to laugh at you, scoff at you because of what you believe. <laughs> that 2,000-year-old book, right? There's going to be people, there's going to be opposition that comes against you. So what do we do? Well, what did Lazarus do? What was Lazarus doing while these guys were getting ready to kill him or while they were plotting to kill him? What was Lazarus doing? He was sitting at the table with Jesus. <laughs> that didn't stop him from fellowshipping. That didn't stop him from gathering. That didn't stop him from experiencing everything that Jesus had for him. When you feel that persecution, when you, when you feel that opposition, you continue. You press on. You press in. You fellowship deeper. 
you spend more time with Jesus. You don't let those things take you away from the most important thing right now. These things, the gossip, the grumbling, the plotting, the persecution, the money even, it's all distraction. It's all distraction that the enemy wants to use to keep us from being welcoming to Jesus, from serving Jesus, from fellowshipping in Jesus' name, and from, from worshiping Jesus with humility. So, as we go from here, keep this in mind. Perhaps in your life personally, priorities need to change. I know it was a good reminder for me Perhaps in your family, priorities need to change. Oh, I know there's things I need to do a little differently in my home. And perhaps as a church, perhaps it's time to take a little more seriously the drive to church. Perhaps it's time to, to step in and, and fill that hole, that need that you know that the, that the Lord's been tugging you toward. Perhaps it's time to, to stick around a little longer, talk a little more, connect with people on a real level pray for people perhaps it's time to worship we're going to have opportunities for all of that here this morning in just the next few minutes there's opportunity for all of that as we remember uh, Jesus' sacrifice through communion as we fellowship and pray together afterwards as there's sign-up sheets even out there but even in the cards in front of you if there's something different that you would like to serve Jesus those action cards you just tell us what do you want to do for the Lord We'll try and make it work for you. You know, our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you have some crazy hairball idea, we'll call you crazy, and then we'll try and help you accomplish it for the Lord, <laughs> you know. We have opportunity to do all of that here just in the next few minutes. It's really cool. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything that you have recorded here through John and through Matthew, the other Gospels as well, Lord that show us so much that we can apply into our lives and our families and as our church together, Lord. God, we ask for your guidance in all of this. Lord Jesus, forgive us. If something's out of order somewhere, thank you for your great grace and mercy, Lord, that you're not so angry with us that, that you don't even want a fellowship with us, but Lord, you stand at the door and knock. You're ready, Lord. Help us to open it. Maybe the door's jammed, stuck, and we, we can't seem to push that open ourselves. Lord, give us the grace, the help that we need to do that. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name. Amen.